Welcome into another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. I hope everybody's been enjoying the playoffs. It's it's the best time of the year. It, it really is just to be able to watch the playoffs and, and see the intensity and how every play matters. And it just makes me think about how the, the season should should be a little bit shorter. So maybe we could maybe this type of energy would be um, a little bit a little bit more regular. It would happen a little, on a little bit more of a regular basis. So it's been ton, a lot of fun to watch. Hope everybody's been doing well. And on today's episode, we have we have my clone on the softball side. So we have Tyler Black. Tyler is the host of the Black Diamond Softball and Fitness podcast. You can check him out on YouTube, iTunes. Um, and he's done an incredible job of, of just trying to grow the game of softball and interviews some of the best coaches in the nation and, and players and puts out just some, a really, really good content. And so in this episode, we talk a little bit about his background in softball, what he's trying to do within the game of softball and help, helping it grow. And then we, we also get into, um, you know, some of, some of the things that, that he thinks are going to help softball down the road and where he sees the game going. So it's a great episode. If you love softball, it's going to be a great episode for you to listen to. Um, if it, also, the other thing I would say is I am doing a free virtual coaching seminar on college softball recruiting. So if you're a parent, if you're a player or a coach, and you want to watch a free seminar on college softball recruiting and the ins and outs of it, I've interviewed a ton of, of college softball coaches lately and, and asked questions and done a lot of research. And so I put together this free, free uh, live presentation, and it's going to be November 2nd at 8 p.m. So if you head to softballhitters.com and just type in your name and email, I'll add you to the email list, and I will send you the link to be able to watch it live. So softballhitters.com, put your first name and then your email in, and I'll send you the, the link before November 2nd so you can watch live. Ladies and gentlemen, here is now my episode with Tyler Black. All right, welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Today we have Tyler Black on the podcast. Tyler, I appreciate you coming on the show, man. Oh, man, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, can't wait to get going. So for, the, for those who, who don't know Tyler, uh, Tyler is essentially my clone on the softball side. So he dominates um, the, the softball podcast world. Um, he hosts a, a podcast, which is really good. It's called It's Foul Pole to Foul Pole. Um, which is, it's awesome. I was listening to just a couple episodes this morning on, on the way over here. Um, Tyler, why, why did you start your podcast? Well, I, I noticed that there really wasn't someone out there, um, doing it. Um, what I, the vision that I had, um, there's a lot of different, um, sources of podcasts when it, we're talking about youth sports and college sports, um, but they don't really hit on softball like the nuts and bolts. And what I wanted to do, what I saw was let's get in here and talk to some of the people that's on the ground floor, some of the travel coaches, um, some of the instructors, um, some of these, these type of people that deal with the day-to-day stuff, running an organization, talking to athletes um, and, and kind of get their perspective and just have a conversation with them because I think that's where we lose a lot. Um, because we're we're kind of scared to talk to different people because we don't open up that dialogue too often. We kind of want to stay in our own bubble. 
So I figured if I had a podcast talking to different people, people could hear us talking about it and go, hey, that makes sense. Or I, I see that same thing. And it kind of opens it up for them to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask this guy a question. I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to post this in a social media and not be scared to do it anymore. So you you also have daughters that, that play softball too. So what's something that that you've learned from doing your podcast that has helped you with not just coaching your daughters, but helping helping them uh, and helping your your own family kind of understand the landscape of travel softball? Yeah, for me, honestly, with, with starting the podcast, it was kind of like a product of me wanting to ask certain questions and having a chance to talk to these, these different ones, these different influencers. And I thought to myself, you know, why keep this information to myself when I know there's someone else out there that might have the same question or could benefit from this information. So I have conversation with my daughters. I have a 14, a 12 and a nine, and they're in different levels. They're in different spaces and different parts of their career. Um, and it's, it's easy for me to look at my oldest one and have a conversation and get a particular answer. And I kind of, I know how that's going to go. And then I could do the same thing with my middle daughter and have, I know what she's going to say. So I have two different perspectives that I can ask questions from to different coaches or be able to answer questions from parents too, because I do a little bit of training on the side as well. So I, it's kind of helped me not necessarily fine tune my craft because I don't think I'm, uh, you know, I'm anything special on hosting a podcast, but it kind of gives me a perspective of being a parent and a coach and trying to get the, the best answer I can for whoever's looking for that type of information. What's something, what is something that you see that, that parent, like where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect between a lot of, of parents and, and players and, and coaches and just the whole, the whole softball or travel softball thing? Well, I think West coast, in East Coast, there's a there's a huge disconnect um, as far as different levels of travel ball. Um, on the East Coast, we're we're catching up. You can see, um, you look at college. I mean, it used to be, you know, East of the Mississippi, West of the Mississippi. I mean, there was a, a clear talent gap. And now I think that gap is closing. Um, you got East Coast pitching, you got West Coast hitters, you got West Coast pitching, East Coast hitters. I, I think that is starting to that gap is starting to close. I think the disconnect is from rec ball to travel ball. And I, I think COVID had something to do with that, but I think it was already in play before that. Uh, I have a sports management background and we were looking at numbers of youth sports and youth sports is on the rise, but rec sports is on the decline. So you have to go look in, in, into the numbers on it and figure out why. Well, you got state funding and cities and counties that stopped putting money into those recreation programs because they weren't getting as much participation because mom and daddy were now wanting to pay for different instructors, wanted more of a pay for play type thing where I can go across town and put my daughter or my son on a team that I wanted to be on and not have a six week, eight week season. They can play for six or seven months throughout the year. So I don't think it's more of a, a disconnect throughout the country, I think is a disconnect just from youth sports in, in the rec, the rec realm, I guess. And in the travel ball realm of it's almost like it's two different sports. And I think eventually you're going to see there's not going to be any more rec ball. It's going to be now it's like 75% travel and 25% rec. I think it's going to get to, to 90%. I think once it crosses over that 80%, 
I think just rec ball is not going to exist anymore because there's not enough money coming back into it to pay for the facilities. So I want to go back to what you said uh, earlier when you just said you talked about East Coast versus West Coast. Mm-hmm. And I'd never heard this before, uh, so I'm I'm genuinely curious about this. Mm-hmm. There, there's that big of a, a disconnect in just talent level, or at least there was yeah. from East Coast to West Coast. Like, why why would that yeah. be? Just because they get to play more on the West Coast? Well, it it used to be like if you if you heard softball, you'd always hear about California teams, and it's like that's just like what you would see on TV. You would, like the UCLA and and the Cal and just teams that were on the West Coast would always get the buzz. But there's still a bunch of talent here, like Florida, Florida State, and you look all over the SEC and the ACC, there's a bunch of talent there. They just wouldn't get in the buzz until recently. So I think now that the popularity of the sport has grown, I think also has that lens, and they go, wait a minute. It's not such a a gap between West Coast and East Coast. There's still some great ballplayers, and there has been great ballplayers on the East Coast. I think it's just now that there's there's more it's it's a wider lens, and I I, I think that's why there, there hasn't really necessarily been a disconnect. It's just been in what people have been able to see compared to what they haven't been able to see in the past. You mentioned that rec rec ball is is dying as you know a, a slow death. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever foresee high school ball going away too, and it's just nothing but travel ball? Uh, I hope not. Um, I don't think so. Um, I think in different areas you'll see where there's less emphasis put on school ball just because there's there's more athletes that are specializing in sports. Um, it seems sooner rather than later nowadays. Uh, I remember playing, growing up playing, you're playing three and four sports all the way up until maybe your senior year to where you, you if you were – you're playing football, maybe you didn't play baseball if you weren't going to pursue that. Or if you were a, a wrestler, maybe, you know, you took some time off to heal from track, something like that. Um, but nowadays, I mean, we're specializing 10, 12 years old, it seems like, 14 years old, and, and which is too early. I think that might have an effect on dropping high school, you know, the numbers as far as participation goes at a high school level. But I don't think we'll see that anytime soon, I think, because once you get down to it, I mean, there's something to be said about playing for your community, playing for your town, you know, that city, that pep rally. Um, you know, I just recently, we we just had a homecoming for football and uh, here in Conway. And, and dude, it, there's no better feeling than playing for, for, you know, this mom and pop shop right down the road here, walking through downtown Conway with the band playing and, and stuff like that. So um, if we keep that alive uh, as parents and as a little bit older generation, if we keep that alive and keep instilling that, that sense of community in our athletes, I don't think high school sports will go away. I mean, you look at football and then for it, every sport after that, I mean, it's just basketball, baseball and, and softball. You, you think that, I mean, they're playing for the school. When you get to rep that school, it's, it's big for it. So I, I don't think it'll, it'll die down now. Don't get me wrong. In some areas, I'm sure it will. Um, and everything, the the money, wherever the money goes. I mean, if, if if the school's able to put money into the program, it'll be around. But if girls don't feel like the the fields are good, they're not getting you know the equipment and stuff like that. Parents are going to be like, you know what? She's not getting anything from this. We could be going to a specialist, pitching coach, hitting coach. We could be playing travel ball year round. We could be going to more camps. We could be doing more things. So as long as the school is able to keep up with that, I, I don't think we're going to lose it. 
Yeah, there's there's nothing quite like playing for something that's just bigger than yourself. And you know, you mentioned the community, and I mean, it's it's tons of fun. I mean, it it really <laughs> is. I mean, just even talking with some of the players that I work with, and and some I I would say maybe there's a few of them who are they're high level players, and so the competition isn't always the greatest, the high school level. Right. But I think just being around your friends and you, know, it's that you're playing with the kids that you go to school with every day, and and homecoming and all this other stuff that's intertwined. And I think it is, it's something that, that I agree with you. I, I hope it doesn't go away. Uh, before we started recording, we were where one of the things we were talking about is in travel softball is FOMO, a fear of missing out. And I think this is something that I, I want to pick your brain about because you have more experience than I do on this. How necessary is it for parents and, and players to be traveling around all over the country playing travel softball. I mean, I had a player not that long ago, her dad told me he spent $20,000 last summer traveling around. And I, I guess is, is why? Well, um, I, I can say this. The last two years I have traveled a lot. And in my eyes, I have traveled too much. And I haven't traveled anywhere near what some of these other people travel. Um, I think you're right. There is a fear of missing out. Uh, if you go back and you look at a summer schedule from a typical, um, what we would consider a high-end travel team or, or organization, a typical summer, man, is like that six-week, eight-week recruiting window. Um, and they're going from all over. I mean, you're, you're talking California, Colorado. Uh, with the Alliance, you're going up into Indiana. Um, so, and these tournaments are back to back. I mean, they don't have a whole lot of time off when they go from playing Tuesday through Sunday, maybe only having that Monday slash Tuesday off. And then they're cranking it right back up for another national tournament, whether it's triple crown, it's PGF, it's the Alliance. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's still that high end competitive ball. Um, and it's state of play and it's, you know, hotels, and you're not going to just go play and go sit in, t in your hotel room. You're going to go out and visit those sites because, you know, when are you going to get back? Um, this I might be 16U, and I've only got a couple more years, years left, or we're not doing this again, or whatever. So you're trying to get it all in. Each one of these is like 10, 12 grand, depending on where you stay and what you're doing. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a lot of money in there, and I think there's a lot of pressure on the parents to keep up with the Joneses. And they think that their kid's going to miss an opportunity or miss out if they're not going and playing in this tournament. And if you talk to anybody um, on the college level um, and, and even higher, we play way too much ball on the youth level. It doesn't matter if you're talking baseball or softball. There needs to be some downtime to let the body recover because these athletes are getting to school and they're broken. Uh, their bodies are broken down. They don't know how to, to – to train because they're dealing with a nagging injury or they're ha got something that happened to them when they were in 10th grade and they're dealing with it and their, their, their knees are busted. They got arthritis or they got some, some simple, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it um, before too. You, it's just, we as parents put so much pressure on them for the kid to compete. So now they're not telling us about these injuries and they're getting worse and worse until they figure out they're in college and then they, you know, have their physicals and they talk to their coaches and their trainers and stuff. And then they, they're able to kind of tell them like, Hey, I've had this going on for X amount of years. And it's like, wow, we didn't know this. So it's, it's, 
it's kind of a, a two two sided answer, if you will. Yeah, no, it, and it's it's interesting to me because the difference between softball and baseball now is so in softball you can't uh, coaches can't talk to players until September first of their junior year, and so I it's not like that in baseball. So that's why you have eighth graders and seventh graders still committing to play in colleges. And so knowing that I would, I figured that on the softball side that it wouldn't be as crazy or travel around everywhere because up until your junior year, you can't, nobody can talk to you anyway. So yeah. I guess, or does everyone feel that they need to go to all these tournaments and play? So when September 1st rolls around, they're getting those calls. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I'm by no means an expert on the recruiting side of it, but D1 is September 1st. Okay. D2, if I'm not mistaken, is back in June. So we can go all the way back to, to June. And then once you get um, D3, I'm not 100% sure on the dates. But after that, you can get recruited at really at any point, uh, D3, NAI. But D1 is that September 1st. And with the transfer portal, um, COVID, that extra year, that's kind of – you're not seeing so many athletes now, but the last couple of years you, you did see that COVID year. Um, there's coaches that are maybe only ha- looking at three spots. Where it used to be they had six spots, um, now they're looking at three. So they're not so many fo- – I mean, they're still getting their phone calls on September 1st, but a lot of coaches are waiting deeper into fall, into the winter, before they're making their final decision because now you have girls – that are transferring, waiting on figure out where they're going to go. But then you got to look at, you got all these coaches that are moving spots too. So I'm, you know, if I'm a girl and I get, I just got recruited by coach Williams and now coach Williams just got a, a job that, that better suits her or better suits him. And they've left. Well, coach Williams is the one that wanted me. That's who I was talking to. I don't know who this, this other coach is moving in. They may not even want me or need me. So it, I think it's uh it's, it's just a, it, it's a, it, it's a cycle that I don't see it getting any, any better anytime soon. So that September 1st date, yeah, it works, but it's just a date on the calendar because, you know, we don't, we don't need to put so much emphasis on it anymore. I think it is, it's too volatile. Recruiting is too volatile to, to, to be able to say, Hey, I got recruited on September 1st. So, Hey, you're, you're definitely a unicorn then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What, what's going to be your plan for, for your own daughter going forward? Um, I've talked to my oldest daughter a little bit about recruiting. Uh, and if anybody knows her, she, I mean, she's into meteorology. She's into the, into science. She, she loves that stuff. Um, we've talked about it loosely and it's more or less um, D one. Yeah. It'd be great if it happened. D two. Yeah. It'd be great if it happened. D three. Yeah. It'd be great if it happened. She's not set on anything yet. Um, she's going to some camps. Um, she's played some high end ball. Um, but right now, if I had to tell you that she was going to go play college softball, I mean, I'd be 50-50 on it, to be completely honest with you. Really? That she doesn't love the game, that it's, not, that it's not fun. It's just that it's not her top priority. I mean, she is a normal 14-year-old girl that at any given moment, her interest is going to change. Um, but they just started uh, school ball workouts, so it's kind of um, started stuff back up you know, getting back with her high school friends again that are, she's in ninth grade. So um, she's, she's started playing high school ball in seventh grade here in South Carolina. You're able to do that. Um, and then last year in eighth grade, she was the uh, starting shortstop for the varsity team this year. She's moving back into that, that role. And then uh, her younger sister who was in seventh grade is now uh, able to play high school ball too. So 
it's a different role for her. She she has her her younger sister out there for her, so she's excited to 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 be out there being able to to play with her her sister. So I, hopefully at some point they're both able to play varsity ball together. I, I love to watch them play together on on the on the field. So I've had a chance to coach them at the same time. Um, they've played for me before, uh, so it's always fun to, to see them. And, um, you know, if, if they do go play college ball, I'm, I'm happy for them. I'll be there. Whatever colors they wear, I'll, I'll make sure I'm on – I have a hat at least. But uh, it's definitely not something that I push on them, say, hey, you got to do this to get recruited or you got to do that, make sure you're going to this camp or that camp. I don't want to dictate. I, I've seen it happen too much. And um, I was that dad where uh, sitting on that bucket, too demanding, yelling at them, um, almost belittling them to the point where uh, they, you, my oldest one started to fall out of love with it. She told my wife, she's like, hey, anytime I talk to daddy, it's softball related. Mm. And it took me a couple of weeks to, to talk to the wife about that. And then I finally it clicked for me. It's like, yeah, I don't have a relationship with my oldest one outside of softball. And to me, I thought that was what she wanted. But what she wanted was her dad. She wanted to talk about boys or talk about school or talk about food. Not that she's, you know, missing her change up or something like that. So once I got out of coach mentality and I was able to be a dad, I became a better coach. Mm, that's great advice. It's it, it man, it, it, it's, we all need to learn it and we learn it at different times and hopefully guys learn it uh, sooner rather than later that the ones that are still coaching their daughters uh, and stuff, man, we got to be able to turn that switch on and off. And it might take you a while to learn it, but you, you'll be better for it if if you're a dad first and then be a coach second. Don't be mm -hmm. a coach first. Love that. That's awesome. You know, it's actually – it's crazy that I even asked you the, that, the question about your daughter, uh, if she wants to play in college, because she's 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And when I was 14 years old, I don't know about you, Tyler, I thought I was convinced I was going to the NBA. I mean, I legitimately. And so it, it's like there's so many things that, that we don't know. Uh, you know when they're 14 years old, you know, what life's going to look like, you know, in a couple of weeks, much less in a couple of years. Right. And so it's just, I guess it's just the, the times that we're in right now with, with the recruiting and everything. And I don't know, just, it's, it's crazy to me. But I, before we were recording, we were talking about, social media and you had, had mentioned that you had uh, talked to you know some other coaches and, and I believe players too about tagging coaches mm -hmm. on social media uh, what's your advice to to players out there who are on social media who want to get recruited what what should they do about in terms of tagging coaches putting videos out like what would you recommend to them um i think the biggest thing is to make it look professional. Um, if you're starting out, if you're at that 12, 13, 14, and you're getting into that social media stuff, I know girls are getting onto social media before that, but if you're going to create that social media profile that is dedicated to your business, your brand, because that's essentially what it is, it's going to be there for 20, 30 years down the road. Starting it now the right way is the most important thing you can do making sure you have a clean professional profile to where when they see that, they know who that this person is. Make sure the name is clean and they can decipher it. Not, uh, you know, Daisy fairy, 1221, who knows who that girl is. You know what I mean? So make sure that there's some way to say, Hey, this is who this girl is and keep everything short and sweet. Um, if you're going to post a video out there, um, I get it. You want to put it out there. 
but make sure it's something that's concrete. If you're going to put game footage on there, make sure it's we're not seeing the fence and we got you in the background somewhere. Let's make sure we can see what you're trying to have us see. Um, tell us, don't give me your stats that you went three for four and um, had a double. Okay, well, we don't know what the competition was that you were playing. So how did you contribute to your team? What What was something that you know, the feeling of the team or the, the motivation of the team or how you guys came together and then let me know, Hey, we went three for four in the night. It was, it was good. Something like that, you know, make it, don't necessarily make it about yourself, but make it about what coaches want to see you interacting as a team. So how can you benefit? Say if I was going to go to USC, how can you benefit USC? What's, what are you as a person? What's your personality like? And make sure that you're not putting some out there you don't want somebody to see. Um, if they can get something negative off of it, they will. They're looking for reasons to take you off of their list because there's a ton of girls and there's, you know, they're looking to, to scratch your name off of it. No, it's nothing personal. It's just they're splitting hairs at this point. There are girls that, that have the same pop time, that have that same arm speed, that have that same pop, have everything that you've got. They got the same GPA. What is something that puts this girl above this girl? So make sure that you're not putting yourself down because you posted something you probably shouldn't have. Mm, I like that. That's all, that's all really good stuff. Are there certain metrics that, that they should put out there too, yeah. from a hitting standpoint, pitching standpoint? Like, do you think coaches care about that? I think on, on some certain level um, with these combine numbers, if you can get it to where it's certified by – someone that is trusted in the industry, someone that is say, Hey, this stuff is calibrated. This is what, this is the metrics that we're using and they can compare apples to apples. Then by all means, you know, make sure that your stuff is out there. Make sure coaches are, you know, have access to those type of numbers that they're able to measure um, because they're, they're not going to be able to get you out to every single camp or they can't get this girl out to every camp and, and be able to measure it with their stopwatches every single time. So if, if you have the chance and you're at a showcase or you're at a tournament and you're, and you're in the right organization that's connected to the right coaches at the next level, make sure your stuff is accurate. You know, it's just like you lying on a resume. You get there that first day, you lied on your resume, and then now you're not qualified for the job. It's the same thing. So don't come out here that you're throwing 74 miles an hour and your fastball is hitting 57. You know, make sure that your stuff is legit. That's the, the wrong thing to do as opposed to something that, that you put it out there like you're, you're something and you're not it. Yeah, if anything, it would be – it would make you look even better if you posted your numbers. Like, let's just say your max fastball was 72 miles an hour of all time. Yeah. And you, But you normally don't top out at 72 miles an hour. Maybe you top out normally at 69. Yeah. If you if you put the 69 out there and you go to the camp and you throw that 72, their perception of you is like, whoa, it's going to be way different versus if you put that expectation at 72 and you don't meet it, you know, they already have these high expectations of you and it's only their their actual what they actually perceive is actually going to be lower. Yeah. And uh, another thing too is let someone else tell your story. Mm. What I mean by that is Make sure that the people in your circle, your your network, maybe your pitching coach, your hitting instructor, your strength and conditioning coach, your coach at high school, the head of your organization, make sure they know who you are too and you're not just a number. Make sure they are connected with these same people and they're they're reputable as well. They're not just some somebody. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these these other coaches and stuff. I'm saying that it, it's it's built in a network. 
So if you're trying to go to LSU or, or go to Florida and you're coming from California, you, you want to make sure that they're, they're, they have access to those coaches and their credentials and make sure that, hey, I see the, the level that she's training at. I see the credibility that these people have too. It, it's, you have to build that relationship and it's like building a foundation. So, you know, there are those unicorns that just come out of nowhere and then they get to camp or they, they show up and, and they're able to be seen and then boom, they do make it. But man, that's a lot of time, energy, effort, and money put into a wrong decision. And that's the one thing that colleges do not want to do is make, you know, on a flyer, go try to get somebody and it, it blows up in their face. So, yeah. And for everybody who's, who's now listening or, or watching Tyler, as we're talking right here, I mean, this, you know, Tyler is someone who talks to college coaches all the time and he has them on his podcast. I mean, as I was saying earlier, he's kind of my clone on the softball side. <laughs> he has all of these softball coaches that on his podcast that he talks to, that he asks these questions to. So take his advice on what he's telling you to heart because he's heard it from the horse's mouth, right? He's getting this information from these college coaches. So make sure you're paying attention to, to, you know, what he's talking about um, in the recruiting process. Tyler, I know that you, you also give instruction. You also work with players. Um, what, what's some, some of the things that, that you find yourself consistently working on with, with players, like what's a low hanging fruit for a lot of different softball hitters out there that you work with that, you know, maybe, maybe if you say it out to the, the universe, it'll help get better. <laughs> Uh, I deal a lot with the, the mental side of the game um, because I, I didn't play the game. I didn't play baseball very long. So mechanically, um, I, I don't have the background that most guys do. Um, I do learn from a lot of coaches that are around me, uh, some, uh, some of my buddies that, that teach the game, teach the game really well. So my spot where I've kind of dug out in this training or instructor world is trying to get these girls – a foundation to where someone could take them to that next level. And so I, there's girls that are in between that rec ball, travel ball, that next level. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And the hardest thing to do, the first thing is there's this perception out there that travel ball is some elite level. Like it, it, you, it used to be, it, it was a thing back in the day, but it's travel ball now is that traveling wreck that you'll see. Um, so girls that have this, this, and parents too will think, okay, well, I'm not good enough for travel or, you know, um, we're not good enough or I can't hit this pitch. And they, they have this, just this thought in their mind, they can't do it. So as I'm working with them, hitting, fielding, throwing, um, they kind of just give them that confidence. Like, Hey, you've got this. You just got to work at it. You know, you can't expect to play six weeks out of a year and that's all you've ever done playing, you know, rec ball. And then going in and trying to compete with girls that maybe are a year ahead of you in travel ball when they're practicing a couple of days a week, they're playing tournaments on the weekends and they have like a nine month long season. Of course, they're going to be ahead of you, but it's not going to take you long to, to get to that level. We'll teach you the foundation and we'll go from there. And then, and that's, that's the clients that I have. I don't have a ton of clients. I, I do talk to a lot of girls, but I don't have, there, there's very few, there's very select few girls that I, that I do work with and I've worked with for quite some time. And that's my biggest message is, where's our headspace at you know mm -hmm. it comes the confidence comes but they have to be taught the right way i think if you if you develop the, the person you'll develop the player and yeah. so i i think that's that's why i it, it's great to hear someone like yourself say say that you know you more so on the mental side because uh you're not only helping them develop as a as a player but as a person too and, right. and they both intertwine together and that's the one thing that i see too just 
how how behind players are from that building and approach and mm-hmm. understanding the mental side of the game and just that mental side. I don't know a coach on the planet that can't break down a swing, right? right. That's the easy part. Human beings are built a certain way. They move a certain way. And there's some, you know, little interchangeable stuff here and there from a mechanical standpoint, but anybody can break down a swing who can help that player have the confidence and be able to make adjustments uh, right. from pitch to pitch. I think that's what separates not just players, but, but coaches. The the funnest part to me is when you're breaking down a swing, it, it, like you said, we can break down a swing and we can just go, okay, this is what's wrong with that swing. And we say, Hey, do this. But the best part about training with youth athletes, and it doesn't matter if they're six or, or 18 years old before they get professional, I say, the best part about that is when you see that light bulb go on and it clicks and they smile and you know that feeling that they've got and you have helped them get to that point. You've said something, you've done something, you've changed something to where it, it just clicks. And I'm not going to say a name in particular, but there's, a, there's one girl that I have worked with for a long time and I have seen this little girl grow up and go from the peaks and the valleys and just battle herself and just – finally she's at a point now to where dude she could hit a golf ball just like she was hitting a beach ball she's seeing the ball well her body's in tune with what she's doing she knows why when she miss hits something she knows immediately what she's done wrong she she has that feel and the best part is when you can teach that athlete how to feel what they see that's when it clicks and then now you're on a whole different level. Now you're able to fine tune different things Ooh, and like you're that. able to change a couple of different things to where, okay, let's change this and see what we feel. This is what yeah. we see. It's like, yeah. a, a, say that again, feel what they see. Yeah. That's the, that's the hardest thing for the younger athletes to do. It doesn't matter what level they're at. It's they have to be able to feel what it is that they're seeing. And a lot of times, like I don't have a facility that I go to and I, and I work inside. I like to put the girls on the field and do a live spray chart and move the tee around or, or do some from some front toss or something like that. We can make a change and then boom, the ball is hit and they can see exactly, okay, this is what I felt. This is where I see the ball going. And then they can also make that snapshot too of where they make contact at. We'll put a cone out. This is where you made contact at. Now, if it stays there, we'll keep the cone there. If we make contact at somewhere different because we're making a change or we're getting through early or we're opening up, or staying closed off, or rolling over, whatever it is, we'll be able to say, okay, I rolled over, I felt myself roll over, this is the, the product, this is why the ball went over here. So the hardest thing for all instructors to do for an athlete, if you're, especially when you're working with the young ones, you've got to figure out how to get them to feel what they're seeing. Mm, that's so good, brother. That's that was that's such good content right there. I hope you start working with more hitters just by listening to you talk because <laughs> you'd be able to help out a ton. I'm serious because what you're doing is you're teaching them to become their own hitting coach. Yeah, which is what you want. Yeah, thank you. You're, you're right. I I do work with some, um, and there's a lot of there's ones that they want me to start working with them more, and it, it becomes a, a a time thing. Um, sure. But I, I mean, I I love. There's like I said, man. There, there's just no better feeling than when you see that a girl smile because yeah. it, like it, it feels good. I mean, she might have struggled for for 20 minutes, and then like that last five, 10 minutes of a lesson, it's like boom, it clicks, and now she's gonna go home with that, and she's able to maybe tell her dad or tell her mom or tell her sibling about it. And dude, it's just 
I love it. Yeah. If, if you know the people that are that are around me here and stuff that are able to see it. it. It's hard for me to take money for for doing what I do. I I, I tell you, it, I I don't do it for the money. I'll never do it for for any any type of money. And I think that might be what I struggle with the most. Is is people? That's what they tell me. It's like, dude, you're you're spending way too much time doing this and doing that, and it's it's just hard for me to do that because I do it from the heart, and it's that's just that's just how I am. I treat them all like they're my kids. Yeah, I, I can I, I definitely get that sense from you from you too. My last last thing I wanted to ask you about the, the game of, of softball has has is growing like crazy. I mean, even just the past five years, ten years, like it's just at least from what I've seen, it's growing. How much bigger do you see it getting? Um, I think at some point uh, we're going to have a, a legitimate, sustainable professional league, and, and there's no knock on, on what Lauren's doing uh, with uh, the, the women's professional fast pitch. There's there's no knock on uh, Athletes Unlimited, and there's no knock on the international professional leagues. Um, but I think it's, at some point um, we're going to have something uh, here in the States uh, that is sustainable. What that looks like, I mean, I couldn't tell you. It, it'll come down to who the investors are, um, but I know there are some some big people in big places um, that are got some things in motion that I, I think at some point within the within the next decade, um, I, I think we'll we'll see we'll see something. Uh, probably within the next couple of years, we'll we'll see the beginning stages of that. Um, but I think it's gonna it's gonna come down to baseball getting involved in it uh, more, and I think they will. I mean, I, I think they they see the product that, that's out there. Um, the girls have done their job. Um, the pioneers of the sport uh, f- throughout the years ha- have done their job. They've gotten it to to this point, and now it's it's up to the the the, the money people and, and to put the money you know in the right spot to to make this happen. Because these girls going overseas to play, and uh, they don't make a ton of money. They they make a lot, but they they don't make a ton, and, and they're all thankful for the money that they make. But they know that they're playing today for the future of the sport tomorrow. And, and if you talk to any of those athletes, they, they're, they love doing it. They know they're ambassadors. And I think it's time for us to repay these ambassadors, um, you know, handsomely and, and rightfully so. I mean, they're, they're great influences on, on a lot of, you know, boys and girls out there. So hopefully we get it fixed in, in the right time. And, and I think the college game, I, I think it, right now the college game is, is at the highest it's ever been. I mean, you're looking at ESPN, you're looking uh, streaming services has got the game on TV, doing a great job. You see what they do down in Florida, uh, the preseason stuff, and then you see just carrying out the year, ACC Network, uh, SEC, the Big Ten. They're, they're putting the, the product out there for us to see, and then now little boys and little girls are able to see it on TV just like they're able to watch baseball. Um, and I think that just that just helps the game. So um, get more butts in the stands now that COVID is over and, and we're kind of coming out from that, getting more butts in the seats and uh, get there and watch the game live. It's, it's, it's an incredible game. Seven innings. It's fast. It's quick, you know? So That's I think the best we're part. that's the best part. It's fast. It's quick. It's not four and a half hours of, of, you know, watching games, which, you know, unfortunately baseball is like that. I've, I've, I've been in the dugout four hours, multiple days in a row of, of a game. It's so boring. It, it takes forever. Why do you think baseball would get involved? Uh, I think they see that there's a need for them to, to get involved. And I, I think monetarily these owners understand, too, that uh, there, there's a product that they could sell. And I think that's – you look at how the WNBA is with the NBA. Um, you know, baseball can, can do the same thing. I think the, the biggest hurdle um, 
that to the just a common fan would see is where are they going to play? Because when you try to watch a game, just go back a couple of years at the with the Olympics. If you try to watch that game, a softball skin on a baseball field is not very pleasing to the eye. So they have to figure out how can they get this on TV and look like it's supposed to because you know, the bases are different. The the mound is different. There's there's a lot of different aesthetics that are, you know, different. And they need to figure out how to, to do that. And But there's stadiums out there. You know, you're looking at single A, double A ballparks that they could transform into softball stadiums. And, I mean, that's, that's just one of many hurdles that they're going to have to cross. But I think baseball, I mean, they got the money. They, they yeah. could do something. Yeah, that, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Like, why not just build some stadiums too? I mean – for baseball, is 30 teams, right? So let's just say softball, you start out with, I don't know, 15, 20 teams. That's 15 to 20 stadiums. Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio right now. I would much rather go and watch a professional softball game downtown than pay $30 to go right. get a drink down at the Reds game and, you know, pay $50 for parking or whatever it is, something crazy, right. and watch a product that nobody really cares about. So – and, you know, like you said, it's it's fast-paced. It, you're not down there for four hours. So I definitely see see it, it working. It I think it, it will. If you take what Athletes Unlimited is doing, that regional thing, they'll go and they'll play, you know, in a in an area for a while, and then they'll go to a different area for a while. I, I think regionally it could work. But what's not going to work is having a team in Florida playing against another team that's in Washington State and with everything that you make and revenue goes into the travel and the hauling and, and the scheduling stuff like that, that's just not going to work. So um, they could, baseball could go back to how they started and then where they got to, and they could do it the, the same way. And I, I think the stadium thing, I mean, you, you'll look, there's, there's busted stadiums now that they could just say, hey, you know what, we're done with these stadiums. Let's change this into a softball stadium. Softball stadiums can fit inside of baseball stadiums. It doesn't, it doesn't take much, I don't think so. Tower, this has been a ton of fun, man. I'm so glad we connected and had you on the podcast. Where Where is the best place for someone to to follow you and, <laughs> and see some of your content? Um, on Facebook, uh, I have the page Black Diamond Softball and Fitness. Um, there's always content posted up on there. Uh, the YouTube channel Black Diamond Softball and Fitness is on there. Uh, you find the podcast on there. Uh, there's different clips, um, and then of course on Twitter, BD Softball Fit. Um, Instagram, I'm out there too. Same Black Diamond Softball Fitness. I'm out there. You'll find me. Um, and you know, make sure that you know when when you're watching that content, you know, make sure whatever you're getting out there, you're just passing that information on to someone else. Don't just for me. Don't just hold it. You know what I mean? You may not, you know, you may not take everything out of it, but think of someone in your life that this message could impact and, and send it to them. They may not watch it. They may not. But just send it to them. Give them, give them a chance to see it. That's how we're going to keep growing the game, softball right there. Exactly. That's the awesome. way I feel, man. Tyler, appreciate it, brother. Appreciate you. Thank you.